Hello, and welcome back to the pathology series from Spotlight Anatomy. In this episode, we will be looking at two main topics. Firstly, exploring the axillary lymph nodes, including some causes of lymphadenopathy. And secondly, subcutaneous emphysema. However, in today's episode, there won't be a case scenario at the end. You'll notice that this week, the pathologies that are being covered are more generalised and link less directly to the musculoskeletal system. Before we jump into it, let's go through the case from the previous episode. To summarise, a 70-year-old woman presented with a six-month history of increasing shoulder pain. She had no trauma to the shoulder. She suffers with diabetes mellitus, was a retired receptionist and enjoyed swimming regularly. You were asked to consider what you could do in your examination to help rule in or out any differentials. Now, before we discuss the examination, let's think about some differentials that we want to keep in the back of our minds during the examination. So this is a case of chronic shoulder pain and an important thing to note is the activity that she engages in a regular basis. She's a keen swimmer and this will be involving her shoulder joint and using those muscles a lot. So, some of our differentials should include a rotator cuff tear, impingement syndrome, frozen shoulder. Right, now let's go through some of the things you would do as part of your examination. You would want to do a full shoulder examination. Now we always start with a general inspection, but let's focus on the shoulder, starting off with inspecting the shoulder. Look at the shoulders for any deformities, swellings, redness, etc. And then have a feel for the joints and assess the temperature too. You then want to ask the patient to carry out movements to assess joint function. This includes shoulder flexion, extension, adduction, abduction, internal and external rotation. You then want to perform all these movements on the patient yourself. You'd want to observe for any restriction in movement, any discomfort, and feel for any crepitus. Let's move on to some special tests that we could do to give us a better indication as to what could be wrong in this patient. One of the differentials we considered was a rotator cuff tear. What special tests might you do to assess whether this is the case? And if so, which of the rotator cuff muscles is affected? One of the special tests is the empty can test, also known as Job's test. This is where you ask the patient to abduct their arm 90 degrees and move it forwards approximately 30 degrees. Then ask the patient to internally rotate the arm so that the thumb points downwards to the floor and then push down on the arm whilst the patient resists. This test assesses the supraspinatus muscle and if the patient poorly resists, then it indicates weakness in this muscle. The next special test you can do is the Gerber's lift-off test. This assesses subscapularis. In this test, you ask the patient to place the dorsum, so the back of their hand, on their lower back, and you ask the patient to try and lift their hand off of their back as you apply some light resistance against it. To test 
infraspinatus and teres minor muscles, you can test the patient's arm in external rotation against resistance. And if you suspect a pathology in one of these two muscles, you can assess the patient's arm in an external rotation in abduction to check the function of teres minor. So these tests can help you locate which of the rotator cuff muscles are torn. Be sure to practice them on your colleagues and friends and have a go at applying these tests and assessing patients with shoulder injuries in practice. Another one of our differentials is impingement syndrome. What features might you see on examination to support this diagnosis? On examination, the affected shoulder will have a reduced range of active movement. You can do the painful arc test, where pain begins between 60 to 120 degrees of abduction of the shoulder, which suggests impingement. Finally, our third differential is the frozen shoulder. What features might you see on examination to support this diagnosis? On examination, the patient will experience pain, stiffness, reduced range of active and passive motion. In frozen shoulder, the pain may be triggered by even small movements, whereas in rotator cuff tears, it tends to be more with lifting, overhead movements or specific movements that cause the pain. A key feature you may note in some patients' histories is immobility of the affected joint, which increases the risk of frozen shoulder to develop. However, in this case, our patient is quite active. So those are some of the things that we'd want to look out for on examination. Remember, there are other differentials for shoulder pain, such as arthritis, and you would do further examinations accordingly. Now, let's move on to the pathologies for today's podcast, and we'll begin with axillary lymph nodes. These are arranged as six groups in the axillary region. Thankfully, there is a useful mnemonic to help remember the names of all six. Apical, A-P-I-C-A-L. We'll go through what each letter stands for. A is for the anterior group. These are the pectoral lymph nodes and lie along the inferior border of pec minor, deep to pec major. They receive lymph from the lateral quadrants of the breast and the abdominal wall above the umbilicus. A quick think back to dermatomes. Can you remember what the dermatome level of the umbilicus is? It's T10 and one definitely worth remembering. P stands for posterior, also called the subscapular lymph nodes. They lie They lie anterior to the subscapularis muscle and receive lymph from the back. They receive lymph from as far down as to the level of the iliac crests. I are the infraclavicular, or also known as the deltopectoral group. You might have realised that the deltopectoral region isn't in the axilla, so technically these lymph nodes aren't axillary lymph nodes. 
They actually lie in the area between the deltoid and the pec major. Receiving lymph from the hand, arm and forearm. C are the central group, lying in the middle of the axilla amongst the axillary fat. It receives lymph from the anterior, posterior and lateral lymph nodes. A is for the apical lymph nodes. These lie at the apex of the axilla. L are the lateral group and, slightly confusingly, lie on the medial side of the axillary vein. They drain most of the lymph of the medial upper limb. All these axillary lymph nodes that we've just gone through drain to the apical group of lymph nodes. So, why do we care so much about lymph nodes? Axillary lymphadenopathy is the enlargement of these lymph nodes and can indicate several underlying pathologies, infection being the most common cause, and it could be an infection of the upper limb or from the breast or pectoral region. Infection can also cause lymphangitis, which is the inflammation, the itis meaning inflammation, of the lymphatic vessels. Think about what the signs of inflammation might be. It would be redness, warmth, tenderness. Cancers and malignancies are the most worrying differential for axillary lymphadenopathy. See if you can name a few cancers that may cause lymphadenopathy in this region. Some of the most common are metastases from breast cancer, leukemia, or lymphoma, or metastases from malignant melanoma of the upper limb. If, for example, a woman with invasive ductal carcinoma presents with unilateral breast swelling and associated swelling in her axilla, the axillary lymph nodes will be biopsied for diagnosis and subsequent staging. This process is essential in deciding the best management for the patient, but interruption of the lymphatic drainage can lead to lymphedema. A quick link back to one of our previous episodes. Can you remember what MSK pathology you can get with axillary lymph node biopsies? It's winging of the scapula, of course. Okay, let's move on to talk about subcutaneous emphysema. So, what is it and why do you need to be able to recognise it? Subcutaneous emphysema, the term itself, is used to refer to gas in the subcutaneous tissue. Let's think about the main defining feature clinically for this condition. Can you take a guess at what it might be? Clinically, what you can feel is crepitus. Subcutaneous emphysema commonly occurs in the chest, neck and face. It is benign, but in some cases can lead to complications, such as airway compromise, respiratory failure and compartment syndrome. So even though the body can deal with the gas by absorbing it, it is important to look for an underlying cause. 
Can you think of any causes of subcutaneous emphysema? Pneumothorax, penetrating trauma and necrotizing fasciitis can cause this condition. However, it's important to be aware that it can also be caused iatrogenically, for example, after a pleural drain insertion. As mentioned before, subcutaneous emphysema can be seen on plain radiographs, but is also visible on CT scans. What do you think can be seen on plain radiographs? Striated lucencies are present in the soft tissue and this can outline muscle fibres. Now here's an interesting fact for you all. Subcutaneous emphysema can affect the anterior chest wall and outline the pectoralis major muscle. Do you know the name of the sign you would see on x-ray in this case? Hint, it's to do with nature. The sign is called the ginkgo leaf sign. Here you would see gas outlining the fibres of pec major muscle and a branching pattern which resembles the patterns on veins of a ginkgo leaf. Quite cool, isn't it? As mentioned, the subcutaneous gas is absorbed by the body over time. So management is focused on symptom treatment and treating the underlying cause. If subcutaneous emphysema is causing complications, such as airway complications or compartment syndrome, then they need to be treated with urgency, with the latter requiring a fasciotomy. And that's all. This episode has covered slightly different topics to the previous episodes, which goes to show how varied MSK can be. Once again, thank you for listening and we hope you found it useful. For more about the PEC region, check out our anatomy podcast and quizzes using the link in the description. See you again in the next episode, all about shoulder dislocations. <laughs>